Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's nice to see every one of you. Thank you so much for being here, every single one of you. We are honored that you would come and, and worship the Lord with us this morning. I told you last week, Easter, that, that we were going to just have an overview of chapter 8. And I think you'll see by now that this chapter is like the, the, the crowning jewel of the book of Romans, perhaps the, the whole Bible. Um, chapter 8, verse 1, in and of itself, is if you can grasp it, if you can hold it close to yourself, it is as important a place in Scripture as you'll ever find. It says there that there is now no condemnation. That, that word means that there is no legal blame against you if you are in Christ Jesus. At the end of Romans chapter 7, as we mentioned last week, Paul makes a statement that affects every single one of us. The statement that he made was that he was fully aware, as a believer in Jesus Christ, he was fully aware of his sinfulness. And he said in verse 24 of chapter 7, wretched man that I am. In other words, sinful man that I am. And then he asks a rhetorical question. The reason we know it was rhetorical is that he already had the answer in the 25th verse. He said, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now this death that he was talking about wasn't a physical death. It wasn't, who's going to set me free from dying? He was saying, who's going to set me free from being separated from God? This spiritual death that I experience when I sin because I am a wretched man. Who will set me free? Well, the answer was clear. It was in verse 25. Thanks be to God, he says. This has been done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Paul moves into the 8th chapter, the first verse. It goes with the 7th chapter, the 25th verse. And he just moves in saying, Now there is no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me finish reading the next three verses, verse 1 through 4. That's verse 1. He says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it is through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, Father, we come to you. Only to ask that you would move me aside. Let me not interfere with what you want to say to us. And would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We ask, Father, that you would bless us mightily. We thank you for the privilege of praying for friends, people who bring us to tears, tears of joy and tears of sorrow that we won't see them for a while. But as Doug said clearly, this is only temporary, this parting. We will be with each other forever and ever. And there we get to celebrate great and wonderful friends, loved ones who have either moved 
or loved ones who have gone to be with you, Father, where we will re, re, be re, re, reunited with them so that we might enjoy them forever and ever and ever. Bless us, Lord. Bless this time. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's an amazing chapter, chapter 8. It begins, verse 1, by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If you read ahead, chapter 8 ends in verse 39 by saying, There is no separation from the love of Christ. Paul says, There is nothing that will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is, again, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then tucked in in the middle, in verse 28, Paul says these marvelous words, that, that God causes all things to work together to those of us who love Him, to those of us who are called according to His purpose. Let me just stop there, just for a brief moment. I've got to ask you this. Do you know what your calling is? Do you know what your purpose is on this earth? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? We, we ask you this over and over again. That, and the best way to find out what it is is to... What would you like to do? If, if you had the right to do anything you wanted within the church, what would you do? Would it be whatever? I don't want to even mention anything. What, what is it? I would say that's pretty much your spiritual gift. I would say start to move in that direction and the, the body of Christ will let you know if it is or is not. They will let you know whether it's your gift. And, and when you get into that area, when you find your spiritual gift and you start serving the Lord under His power through His gift that flows through you, you won't lose your passion. You won't lose the joy of, of ministering. It'll be a part of you. I'm, look, it is... It's evident. I'm old. I'm 75 years old. And people ask me, why and how do you preach with such passion? I just love it. It's not a, it's not a job to me. It's, it's, it's not a burden to me. It's, it's, it's a joy. It's, it's, I, I couldn't imagine not doing it. This week, my wife paid me the, one of the greatest compliments, and, and I, I didn't say much about it at the time. I told her last night because she was at the service last night. And I made mention of this last night. It was one of those great attaboys, you know, nice going. You're, you're just, I, I, usually she's up earlier than me. Usually she's at the same place. When she gets up, she sits in the same place, same couch, same place with her Bible open, reading the Bible. That's where I find her every morning. I don't Hardly remember a morning that I haven't found her sitting in her favorite place reading the Bible. At this particular morning, I beat her up, and I... Uh, no, I didn't beat her up. I, I, I woke up before her. <laughs> I'll teach her. I woke up before her. <laughs> that was really funny. I woke, up, I woke up before her. And she walks into my little, this office area that I have where the computer is, and I'm, I'm studying, and she says, you know, you are the most faithful person I know. You, nobody makes you study the Bible. And I thanked her, but I didn't thank her to the degree that I really ought to at the time. That was one of the kindest things she's ever told me. 
It is my joy to study the Bible. I tell you how much I love you. And I tell you how much I love you because you folks helped me, helped me get into the Word of God. I'm going to tell you everything I know about the Bible today. That's not true. But I'm going to tell you everything I know about Romans chapter 8, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I'll go home and perhaps tonight, maybe not, but for sure tomorrow, I'll open up the Bible and I'll look at verse 5 and I'll read ahead and see what does the Lord have for us. And you are, you are helping me to become the man of God that I want to become by, by allowing me to do my spiritual gift. And I don't get tired. I, I don't get weary of it. I just love it. I want you to have the same blessing. Whether it be moving chairs, helping, whether it's administration, whether it's caring for the kids. It's okay. I love you. I keep, you and I have this thing. And whether it's whatever it is that God has you to do, there's guys out there that, and women out there that, that cook the breakfasts. And, and, and none of those responsibilities are more important or less important than the others. We're all equal in this. Myself, you, them, whomever. And we have a chance to serve the Lord. And I promise you, if you find your area of giftedness, you will not grow weary or tired of serving the Lord and honoring Him. And so, tucked in in this great chapter is verse 28, that God will cause all things to work together for good to those of us who love Him, to those of us who are called according to his purpose in our lives. Now let's get back into this place. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul has made it extremely clear that there is still sin in our lives. Yes, even our lives as believers. And we know this, and he uses himself as a barometer of truth. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? He's he sees his own shortcomings, his own sin. And so Paul is not saying in verse 1 that there is nothing in your life or my life that is worthy of condemnation. No, there are, at least for me, plenty of things, even being born again as I am, that deserves God's condemnation against me. If God were to come here right now and judge you and me according to our own behavior, our righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ, which has come upon us once we are in Christ Jesus, as I will mention in a moment. But if he were to judge us on our behavior and our righteousness, we would all be condemned, every single one of us. But Paul, but Paul writes boldly in verse 1 of chapter 8 that if we are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation upon your soul. No blame of sin from God to you. He placed all the blame that you would have received upon His Son. He placed all the blame upon Him when it became dark. Remember, it got, got really dark when Jesus was on the cross? And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment in time, your sin, my sin, was poured upon our Lord and he shed his blood for our forgiveness. So therefore, there is now no condemnation upon you and me who are in Christ Jesus. He took it upon himself to die for us. In return, 
He gave you and me his righteousness. What a trade. You talk about a bad trade. Our sin for his righteousness. Bad on his part. Amazing on ours. You see, we have been justified by faith. Therefore, we have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That has been imputed as the biblical word. It has been given to you and me who believe. Therefore, now and forevermore, there is no condemnation, no blame placed upon you who are in Christ Jesus. You see, when God looks at us, those of us who believe in Him, He sees us covered with the blood and the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why there is now no condemnation upon you. It fell upon our Lord on the cross. Now, what does it mean when it says in Christ Jesus? That was an interesting study for me. Because I thought, you know, it's easy to say, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? And I think there's a lot of answers to that. But what does it really mean? And I found there was an interesting study when you take a look at the word in, I-N, in English, and you compare it with the word in, I-N, there in the Greek. The word in the Greek is E-I-S. It literally means into Christ. All the difference in the world. Think of it this way. If you and I are standing outside our, the door of our homes and we need to get into our home, we need to open up the door, pass through the door, and move into our home. We move from outside into the inside. Whenever the Greek language uses the word E-I-S for in, it means from moving from one place into another place. So once a person has by faith moved into or in Christ Jesus, they are then and there securely and forevermore moved into His care. You're not even in control of your destiny any longer. He is completely in control. So faith, your faith in Christ, moves you from outside of the care of Jesus Christ through the door and into His care. From outside the kingdom of God to into His forever kingdom forevermore. There was a verse that I, I, I quoted over and over again a long time ago when I was sharing my testimony. It was in the book of Revelation, the third chapter, the 20th verse. It goes this way. Jesus is speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will, watch, come into him and will dine with him and he or she with me, says our Lord. So anyone who is in Christ have now no condemnation because they have moved into Christ or into His presence or into His care forevermore. We have walked through the door, so to speak, and have experienced now Him. You want to see a great place. In the book of John, the 10th chapter, it's one of my favorite places because the, the Jewish leadership of the day, the Jewish religious leaders came to Jesus Christ and they asked him a question. They said 
in verse 24 of John chapter 10. They gathered around Jesus Christ and they were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. That's absurd. He has not only told them, he has done things that only God could have done. Raise the dead, walk on water. He has done anything and everything he could have done. So what Jesus said when he answered them was this, I've told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do, he says, in my Father's name, these testify of me. In other words, you've heard it from my mouth. You've seen it in my actions. I've told you plainly. You just don't believe. He says in verse 26, You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, he says. I know them. They follow me, he says. Verses 28 and 29 are two of the most wonderful verses in Scripture. Jesus says, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. You might want to note that in your Bible. I give eternal life to them, and they never perish. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, you are forever secure. You have eternal life. You will never perish. And no one will be able to snatch you out of Jesus' hands. And then he says in the next verse, verse 29, And my Father who is in heaven, well I just added who is in heaven, I'm sorry. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Why? Well because, verse 30, I and my Father are one. He just told them he's God again. We know that for a fact because they picked up stones to stone him. And he asked them, why are you stoning me? For, for, for what I've done? He said, no, 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 not for what you've done, but for what you just said. You, being a man, have just made yourself out to be God. Come on, they just said, get us out of suspense. Would you tell us plainly? And when he told them, they just didn't want to believe. Both God the Father and God the Son are holding us, he tells us, in their hands. And we will never perish. And no one will be able to snatch us, snatch us out of their hands. That's how secure you and I are. Because of this grace, this unmerited favor of God to us, people say, well, if it's all done by Jesus, then what do I need to worry about? That is exactly what they asked Paul in Rome. They said, should we keep on sinning so God's grace will look even greater? And he said, no, no, God forbid. May that never be. True. In your life and my life, there is no judgment. There is no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But also true, we will all be bought before the judgment seat of God to be evaluated for the things we do, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, in our spiritual lives. How obedient we are or how disobedient we are. This is also true, we will not have to worry about going to hell. There is now no condemnation upon us. But we still will be judged. We will still be evaluated by God. And the one thing I long for, for you and for me, is to not be totally embarrassed by my lack of obedience to the Lord. One of the things I want to hear more than almost anything else on the face of this earth 
apart from my wife complimenting me, is to hear one day Jesus Christ look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, I pray that for you and for me more than you'll ever know. That's one of my constant prayers for you as it is for me. I've, I don't know that I've ever prayed that for myself, that I didn't pray it for us. On the other hand, you and I don't need to fret over the possibility of, of Christ saying to us, as he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, Depart from me, for I never knew you, because there is now, now, no condemnation upon those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He took our sin, as I said earlier, and in return gave us his righteousness. It's the most wonderful thing. Now how do we know this for certain? I believe that Paul is writing this book in this fashion, this particular chapter, to help those of us who have a bad self-image. I see everything half empty. Nope, maybe almost close to empty. My wife, full. But it's not fun living as a half empty guy. It's, it's not. It's some, every time I fall short or every time anything happens, I, I want to take all the blame, all the blame. And I believe that Paul is writing this and showing us himself in the fact that wretched man that I am, more wretched than you, because he says, I am the chief of all sinners. So wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God. It's been done through Jesus Christ. And I think he's doing that so that you and I won't give up. We won't, we won't be half-empty people and, and, and let our sin just destroy us from, from being a part of the family of God. There's absolutely nothing more wonderful than to be able to, to use the, the gift that God has so graciously given us for His glory. To be able to stand before Him one day and, and have Him say, Hey, way, way to go. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so how can we know for certain that we are in Christ Jesus, and there is now no condemnation. Well, verse 2. This is a, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 are, they're just clinical. They ought to be taught clearly as could possibly be taught. Verse 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you and me free from the law of sin and of death. In other words, Christ has delivered each one of us who believe in Him from the power of sin and death over us and has now set us free. If you look closely at verse 2, you see there are but two laws. I think, I think Christianity is a lot more simpler than, than most of us give it credit. I think Dr. J. Vernon McGee hit the nail right on the head when he said, you're either a saint or you ain't. And, and, and here there are only but two laws in existence in verse 2. There is the law of the spirit of life in Christ, but there is also the law of the spirit of, of or the, excuse me, or is the law of sin and death. While you and I were apart from Jesus Christ, we were exposed to the full penalty of the law of eternal death and bondage to sin. We couldn't get away from it. But now... There is another law that exists within the heart of those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that is the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Which is the very principle of the gospel. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. In other words, those of us who are in Christ Jesus have an everlasting life living in us. It's not a partial life. 
It is an everlasting life. We have the life of Christ living in us. We are into His care. We're not in charge anymore. Yeah, hallelujah is right on the money. Paul's showing us the power of the gospel which sets you and me free from the bondage that is experienced in the flesh. So note verse 3. Verse 3 says, What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. In other words, Paul is not saying the, the law was weak. No, Paul is saying the law could not do, it could not bring you or me to salvation because of our weakness, the weakness of our flesh. We cannot live up to the law. That's why I say over and over again, this book is not written so as to make you feel good about yourself. This book is written so as to make you and me see how desperately we need a Savior. And so what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, our flesh, God did it. See verse 3? God did it. How? He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful flesh, just in the likeness of it. Because He was virgin born. And He offered for sin. And so doing, He condemned sin in the flesh. In our flesh. We're, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of the helplessness and the impossibility of the law to save you and me. Because, as he says in, in Romans, there is none of us who is righteous, not one. None of us do good, not one. We all need the Savior. And so the law cannot save us. Not because the law is not strong enough, but because of our weakness. The law was weakened through our sinful nature. Therefore, it can't save us. So what God did was He took it upon Himself to give us a Savior. The lack of the ability of the law to save you and me resides in our lack of an ability to be obedient. But since our fallen nature could not obey the law, therefore the law could not become an instrument for salvation for us, but only an instrument to damn us. So to solve the dilemma, God provided the solution. Verse 3b, He sent His Son to die for you and me. That's why I said last week, Easter is every, every week for us. Every day, really. We honor and worship a risen Savior every single day of our lives. It's amazing what He has done for you and me. So God set His Son on a human body, but in the likeness of flesh. And there's one exception that Jesus has over us. He did not take on our sinful nature. No, He was born without sin, virgin birth. And He came to this earth to die for you and for me. And in so doing, He condemned sin in our flesh. The cross, the cross, is where God poured out His judgment and wrath upon you and me, upon His Son. My God, my God, Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? He took upon Himself our sin, shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And in so doing, He placed upon us His righteousness and He condemned sin in your life, in my life, at least for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So, 
Verse 4 comes into motion. He did that so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, there had to be some way for us to have salvation. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of an animal. In the New Testament, it became the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that was the requirement of the law. There had to be the shedding of blood for sin. And so it might be fulfilled in us, it says in verse 4, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. You see, Christ did not only come to, to set you and me free from the penalty of sin. He came to set us free from the power of sin over us. I want you to know verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 are not salvation verses. They're verses that are, are given to set us free so as to sanctify ourselves, so that we would set ourselves apart to serve God. That's the purpose. That's what verse 4 is all about. With the Holy Spirit residing in you and me, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can fulfill righteously, we can fulfill the righteous life by the way we live. We can sanctify ourselves. We can set our own selves apart. That's why... Kay had no idea what I was studying, but she said to me, you are so faithful. No one makes you study the Bible. What she was saying, basically, without knowing it, is that I sanctified myself. I set myself apart for the, the purpose of God. It was quite a pr privilege for her to say that to me. So Paul says in verse 4, the last part of it, those of us who do not walk according to the flesh, but now walk according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now enabling you and me to do the impossible. What I could not do on my own, God enables me. He gifts me. Holy Spirit can produce a holy life in our once weakened and sinful flesh. If you went back, I mean... When I go back, now I don't go anymore to old-timers games. That there's really no use. But I, for those of you who don't know, I played ball when I was younger, and they have old-timers games. And when I go back and see some of my old friends, they, they just shake their heads and say, you, you preach. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, they're serious. They're just laughing at me. And, and what they, I, it would take me forever to explain to them, it's not me. It's God that does it. It's Him. It's not me. I am the most un most unlikely person that you would ever find to do what I'm doing. God's grace is amazing, folks. And I could sit back and say, oh, and I, listen, we've had some tough times here. We have. And I could sit back and say, I'm not, I, 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 I quit. I just quit. It's hard. But I can't. God's not giving me the the opportunity to quit. I want to fight the good fight. I want to keep the faith. I want to press on. And so you and I are able to live the Christian life living under the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been set free for the sake of righteousness, folks. The righteousness of Christ lives in you if you are in Christ Jesus and you have now therefore no condemnation living within your soul, because you are in Christ. God has condemned and executed sin in your life. It's, it's amazing. Now, I, I've always thought, I wonder why God wouldn't do it this way. This is, if I were God, here's what I would do. 
I, I, I mean, automatic, I would do it. A, the minute a person says, Jesus Christ, once you forgive me my sin, sin, come into my heart, boom, you die immediately, you go right into heaven. That's where I think it should be, because why keep us down here? We mess everything up. <laughs> That's an amen. Yeah, it's, a, it's not a bad theory, is it? Uh, listen to what our Lord says. I, 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 I've, I, I stick with it, but I know it's not right. I know it's wrong. It's dead wrong. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, verse 15, he says, Father, I do not ask you to take them out of this world but to keep them from the evil one. You see, down here is where the victory is for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The victory is that we can serve the Lord. The victory is that we can go to friends and neighbors and loved ones who do not know Jesus Christ. And we can live a sanctified, separated life for the cause of Christ. And by the grace of God, see people come to Christ. And that's the victory. That's why he has given us life. I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of this world. There goes my theory. Keep them. Keep them from the evil one. You see, the Holy Spirit furnishes the power for you and me to walk according to the Spirit of God. He gives us to sanctify ourselves. But folks, let me tell you right now, it's your choice. There's nobody can make you get up early in the morning, in my case, study the Bible. It's, I chose to do that. It was my joy to do that. But there's, I like my bed a lot. It's warm, comfortable, and all that. I would have loved to have stayed there, but I wanted to study more. It's a choice to sanctify yourself for the Lord. It's a choice to serve Him. We've got a lot of great things here at this church. It's a great church. We're going to miss two people that will be missed immeasurably. I don't know how God will replace Mark and Liz. I don't know. But I know one thing for certain. He will. He'll do it. He's, he loves this place more than we do. There must be something in Colorado that is needed for you too. I don't know what it is. But I know God will supply here. He's faithful. He will do that. And so I ask you to sanctify yourself, folks. Set yourselves apart. As it says in verse 4, let me close. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm five minutes over. Please forgive me. I want you to sanctify yourself. I want you, as it says in verse 4, to walk according to the Spirit of God, not the flesh. Nobody can make you do that. It's going to be your choice. That's why in my life there are disciplines. There's things that beep that remind me. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you living for Christ? Father, please bless us. Watch over Mark and Liz again, Father, again and again. Care for them. They've been really faithful friends here. And Father, uh, watch over the Warren family and give Gordon and Kari just a wonderful afternoon and and, and, and Father, thank you for the building that you're bringing our way. I, it believes, I believe you really are doing that, Father. And I want to thank you for that so much. And thank you so much for Doc Stroman.
God bless him. Have that that new heart uh, transplant come soon. Thank you so much, Father, for your kindness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than you'll ever know.